Turn with me, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 16. It's an interesting... If you're you're paying attention as you read, we're going to be starting in verse 6. We're going to be reading 6 through 12. Um, one of the things that you'll notice if you're paying close attention is that in this section of Acts, the writer himself, which presumably is Luke, joins the people that he's talking about, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, in the missionary journey that they're on. You can see this in verse 10 when it switches, he switches from writing they, in the, in the third person, to saying we. He's speaking in the first person all of a sudden in the middle of the, what we're reading. And so it's this neat little thing. If you're, you know, if you're paying attention, you, you realize, oh, hey, this, guy, this guy's writing this, and he's, he's like telling a story that he comes in and out of. That's a, that's a fun, beautiful thing because it just shows us, it, it allows us one, one more area where we can connect ourselves to the story. We can see how real and true this really is. That's such an important thing for us to not read and, and think that this text is other, that it's somehow disconnected from us. This is just how... This is just how you would tell a story that you were involved in parts of. So then they, you know, they went up to Loveland and they picked up and then they came back down to Milford and then we went to, right? This is how we talk. And that's what we see here. I just want to point that out to you. Because it's just one of those tiny little things in the text that doesn't really have anything to do with anything else except that it's encouraging and strengthening to us. Well, this morning what we're going to touch on, we're going, to, we're going to see a number of different but related things. We're going to be talking about planning. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to be touching on the need to discern the spirits, which is a command that we're given. And ultimately, how to know God's will in your life and how to pursue it. How to know God's will and how to pursue it. And though all those things come together in in this text and are completely applicable to our lives today. So please stand as we read Acts 16, 6 through 12. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So putting out to sea from Troas, we went a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. short little passage. Not a lot happens in it, right? Not a lot of excitement, just a little bit of traveling, basically. Um, and then there's this, there's this weird dream, right? Well, if, you're, if you go back and you look at verse 6 and 7, you see that the first thing that happens in this text is that twice in a row, Paul and his companions are not able to do what they planned on doing. They're not able to do what they planned on doing. They had a plan. They intended to preach in Asia. But that was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Then they were going to preach in Bithynia. But it says the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Now, this is Paul. Paul was an apostle, filled with the Holy Spirit, desiring to fulfill Jesus' command to him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Twice being prevented by God from doing as he had planned. How many of you have ever had a plan that didn't get to happen? Everyone had that experience, right? Yeah, I thought so. Liam, you ever planned to do something and not been able to? Yeah. Kind of, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) It happens to all of us. It'll happen to you soon. We get an idea in our head. I want to go play in the basement. And then mom says, nope, you're going to go to bed. It's like, ah, but that wasn't my plan. Now, the question is, are you going to respond like a three-year-old? Or are you going to respond like Paul does? Really, that's that's part of the, the, the most essential thing you need to get out of this text, is how are you going to respond when you don't get to do what you planned on doing? We hold so tightly to our plans. But how does Paul... Respond. Interestingly, each time, he immediately comes up with a new plan and begins to pursue the new plan. Paul was not being disobedient by trying to go into Bithynia. So, you know, it's being prevented by the Holy Spirit from preaching in Asia, then he tries to go into Bithynia, right? then prevented from going into Bithynia. But he wasn't being disobedient by trying to go into Bithynia. He was being obedient. He was trying to do a good thing, but God's plan was different than Paul's. God's plan was different than Paul's. God reveals his will, his plan, gradually to Paul. First, by closing doors... So he has to keep moving. 
And once he gets him close, he shows him a vision of a man from just across the water from where they are asking for help. Now, if I could show you a map, it would be interesting. The, the geography here is important because you've got Asia and then Bithynia and then you've got this uh, dream, a man of Macedonia. So you're looking at almost a complete reversal of direction that Paul is having to go in, in the end. Okay? Asia, oh, okay, well, I can't, I can't go this way. Okay, well, then Bithynia, no, okay, well, then how about... And then, and then the dream calling him down over to Macedonia. Now, with us, that would be very we would be very tempted to be very frustrated by that, right? We got, this, we got this plan, it's to go up this direction. No, okay, well, let's try this one a little bit, you know, over here, not, not quite up there, okay, a little bit over here. No, not there either. Okay, so you really you want me to go the exact opposite direction of where I wanted to go. All right, fine. But Paul is not bothered by this, right? He gets this, he sees this dream, a man of Macedonia standing, appealing to him, says, come over to Macedonia and help us. They end up, of course, in the city of Philippi, in Macedonia. How does Paul respond? Well, it says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, what can we learn from this? Well, the first thing we've got to learn is that we have to be willing to act in faith without knowing all of God's plan or how everything will work out. We can't be paralyzed by indecision. Paul doesn't try to go into Asia and then the door is closed and then just like sit there. Oh, I guess, oh, I'll sit here until God tells me what to do. Nope. He tries to go into Bithynia. God says no there. He he tries to go somewhere else. Oh, okay, well, we're going to Macedonia. Now, can can you imagine a third time This happening, that he's, that he's told no? Oh, it's easy to imagine, isn't it? By the time you get into a pattern of two times trying to go some, you know, try to go here, no, try to go here, no, try to go here, no. And part of the reason that it's easy to imagine is because we've experienced this. You know, you get up on your, you know, the, the bad days that you have and everything that you had planned doesn't happen, right? Well, my plan was to do these six things and... I tried to do the first one, and I spent two hours on it and failed, and then I tried to do the second one, and I spent and, and I didn't even get to the fifth and the sixth ones because I wasted so much time trying to do the other four, and I didn't get anything done that I planned to get done today. How many times does this happen? It happens all the time, right? 
Some of us face one setback. One, uh, I was going to do this, and it was a good thing, and, and then I couldn't do it, and so I guess I'm just not supposed to do anything. No. Paul is not paralyzed by one answer of no. He's attempting to do a good thing. The answer is no, and the answer is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prevented him from going and preaching in Asia. And then the Spirit prevented him from preaching in Bithynia. But Paul, it's not just that, he's not, that, he, is, uh, that he continues to try to do something. It's also that he does not waver and go back and forth in faithlessness. Okay? He's prevented. It doesn't say how he's prevented from going into Asia. We don't know. It says the Spirit prevented him. It's the Spirit prevented him from going to Bithynia, too. All right? You can imagine trying to make up your mind whether you're really being, whether you're really supposed to stop, right? And deciding, well, I think I'll go over. I think I'll go over to Bithynia. Well, I don't know. Maybe I should try harder to get into Asia. Oh, I don't know. Let's go try Bithynia. Oh, I. You know, if I go over into Bithynia, then all these people in Asia aren't going to hear the gospel. Maybe I should go up into Asia. When you think about this in terms of really what's going on, these really good things that Paul wants to do, then you can understand how you could end up being flustered and caught in in this faithless indecision. Right? Paul doesn't waver back and forth. He immediately comes up with a new plan and tries it. (laughs) And then God says no to the second plan. Okay, ready to make a new plan. And God eventually opens a door for him. But even then, he doesn't really know what's going to happen. He concludes... Well, maybe this means that we're supposed to go over into Macedonia somewhere, and so they, they try, and this time they're allowed to go. But he doesn't know the end of the story before he starts. He doesn't sit there and say, well, you know what, I've, I'm sick of trying and having the doors closed. Why don't, why don't I just wait here until I really know whether I'll be able to go? I'm, let's send some letters out, see whether there's anybody interested anywhere in Macedonia before we try to... Do this. No. They just get on the boat and they go. And in this particular case, the conclusion that they had come to was correct. They were called to preach in Macedonia. But they don't sit around in the meantime waiting for God to tell you what the end of the story is going to be before you start. You see that? Paul tries to go forward, doing God's will, obedient. His call is to preach to the Gentiles. So that's what he's trying to do and trying to do and trying to do. 
Now, if you think about this, just in terms of man's terms, Paul can't preach to every Gentile in the world, right? We understand this intuitively. It's like we realize that there are limitations, that Paul can only be in one place at a time, and that he's only going to live so long. And, and so this command, this calling that he has to be the apostle to the Gentiles is a daunting call, isn't it? You've got 11 apostles for the Jews. And the Jews are one little people group, right? And then you've got one apostle for the Gentiles. Can you imagine being Paul? Well, thanks a lot. They get to split up the, you know, the 12 tribes into 11 people, and, and, and I get everybody else in the world that I've got to, thanks, thanks. That would be how we, you know, that, that would be how we would be tempted to respond. Either that or to be self-important about it. Well, I got everybody else in the world that I'm supposed to deal with. But if you, you, you couldn't be self-important about that without hitting up against the limitations of reality very quickly, right? I can only be in one place at a time. I've only got so many hours in a day. I have to sleep and I have to eat. And traveling takes time. These are the kinds of things that we run into in our planning that cause us to lose hope. Oh, it's too much. It's too daunting of a call. I can't possibly even start on I can't start on this work. Where would I even start, you know? I know it's a good thing to speak to my neighbors, to talk to them about the gospel. I know that it's a good thing to have a good witness at work, but how would I even start? It's just, it's just too much. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to talk to him about his marriage and about how he's treating other people in the office, and until I know what the outcome is going to be. Well, here's an idea. How about like Paul? You try to do a good thing and fail, and fail and fail, and then succeed. In God's timing, in his plan. We don't sit around. We prayerfully make a plan in faith, and then we pursue it until God stops us or forces us to change our plan. It's that simple. You're moving forward in obedience. And when God stops you and redirects you, you take it in faith. Trusting that his plan is better than your plan. Now, in order to make sense of that, you've got to realize, recognize, when you're being prevented or prohibited by God, so that you can change your plan accordingly. And that's where we run into so many uh, difficulties. Because trying 
and trying and trying and trying, you're going to have differing judgments from different people about what's going on. Now, just take a random example from your life where you've got this like big decision, big thing that you're pursuing. You want to get married, right? So there's this there's this girl that you want to marry, and you've got to decide how to go about trying to convince her to marry you. This is the work of getting married, right? Now, she says, no, I don't want to go on a date with you. Oh, I guess God's preventing me. I should stop right now. Well, maybe. Or maybe you should try again. How do you know the difference? Right? Isn't that, what we, isn't that where we always run into, okay, it sounds good, yeah, keep going forward, I'm with you, this makes sense, don't just throw a little pity party and a temper tantrum and decide you're not going to do anything, that makes sense. But then how do I know? How do I know the will of God? That's what we always, then we're left with, you know, I tried and it didn't go anywhere, should I just give up? Should I try again? And when you've tried 14 times, and your, your roommate is going, dude, give up. She's not interested in you, right? <laughs> You're thinking, is, is this, am I being prevented by God? Am I pursuing the wrong thing? Should I go somewhere else? And we start tying ourselves up in knots at that point, right? I knew a woman who believed that she was called to be a missionary up in Alaska. She wasn't. She wasn't a missionary up in Alaska, and she wasn't called to be a missionary up in Alaska. Are you with me? But she believed that she was called to be a missionary up in Alaska. She couldn't really take care of herself or stay completely sane in southern Indiana with friends around, much less living alone for months at a time in a radio station up in Alaska. Are you, are you following? There were so many reasons she was clearly not supposed to do that that I can't even begin to describe it for you. It was laughable to think of the idea. Now, I don't object to her thinking that she should be a missionary in Alaska, even when she's clearly wrong. <clears throat> what I object to is that she could not be convinced otherwise. Do, do you see the difference? Paul was wrong. He thought he should go into Asia. He was wrong. He thought he should go into Bithynia. He was wrong again. She thought she should go to Alaska. She was wrong. You see? This is not, a, this is not such a big deal. What's, what's important is that we be able to admit when we're wrong. For years, this woman was mercifully prevented by God from going to Alaska, but still, she had not given up this crazy plan. She was unwilling to give up her desire to do this good thing. 
Paul was totally willing to give up his desire to do this good thing. She was unwilling to give up her perfect grand plan for her life. Which meant that ultimately she was unwilling to be obedient and do the work God had actually called her to do. If Paul had spent the rest of his life trying to get into Bithynia, or into Asia in the first place, then what? Have you guys seen, have you guys experienced this with, with yourself, with other people, seen this kind of behavior, this kind of idea? It gets stuck in your, you, you can't let it go. You've got to do it. You've got to accomplish it. And you're resisting God. You say, but it's a good thing. As though somehow that means that you, you automatically have to do it. No, it would have been a good thing for Paul to go into Asia. And yet, the answer was no. That's okay. We've got to be willing to have the answer be no to us. Let go of our plans. And be willing to be redirected just like Paul was. Just like that. No, not Asia. How about Bithynia? Let's go. Full speed ahead to Bithynia. Oh, closed door. Boom. Okay. Well, let's sleep on it. Hey, I had a dream. Let's go to Macedonia. How quickly he's going completely the other direction. Knowing what God's plans are for your life starts by wanting to follow his plan, not yours. So if life is a path through the woods, close your eyes and imagine a beautiful path through the woods. Can you see it? I always see light filtering through the leaves when I see a path in the woods in my mind's eye, right? Okay, so you've got a path through the woods. Now imagine that there is a gorge and the bridge is out. Okay, you've got the wooden bridge and it goes out a couple of feet and then it's missing. Clearly you can't cross the bridge. Now you've got two choices. You can sit down in the path and pout because you thought you were supposed to cross the bridge. Or you can look around for another path that will either take you to another bridge or lead you down into the gorge and up the other side. Or maybe not up the other side. You see the path on the other side, but it's not your path. Your path is down through the gorge the rest of your life is down that way. Do you see the difference? The two, the two choices. If we're intent on looking across and saying, no, that's where I'm supposed to go. This is how I'm supposed to get there. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The bridge is out. God put me on this path with a bridge out. I'm just stuck here. Can't go forward. Obviously can't go back. Paul doesn't pout. Paul wants to follow God's plan. 
We have to care more about what God wants us to do than what we want to do. We cannot justify sitting around doing nothing because we're waiting for God to get around to giving us what we want, to following, uh, giving us a path on the plan that we designed. God is the one who designed the path. Now, this begins, to, this begins to get into all sorts of areas of our life. Because if we're trying to understand what God's plan is, it means we have to understand what is good in the first place in his judgment, not in our judgment. So as soon as we're judging the life and the world and, and everything by, what, by our own conception of good and bad, all right, we're already, well, we're already far away from wanting to do his plan. Because there's no way for us to know what his plan is without first knowing what he thinks is good. Paul at least knew it was good for him to preach to Gentiles, right? This was a good thing. It was obviously what he was supposed to be doing. And so then he was able to, just, to, to, to modify his plan in accordance with God's will very rapidly because he knew still what good was at the core. He was judging good properly. There are lots of people who don't have any idea what things God has made good and therefore are completely lost on trying to fulfill God's plan for their life. And that's all they're ever talking about is making the most of their life for God, right? People who claim the name of Christ who don't have any idea what good is and yet then are talking about fulfilling God's plan for their life and making the most of it, being excellent for him. Now, I'm talking in generalities, right? But let's, let's make it specific. I saw uh, a, an article, if you, guys haven't, if you guys haven't heard of the Babylon Bee, I, I recommend you look it up. Um, I saw an article a couple weeks ago, I think it was, uh, gridlock reached as two, two young men both convinced that God has commanded them to marry the same young woman. Right? Okay, so now this is the kind of thing that happens amongst Christians, right? The young man is convinced he's supposed to marry so-and-so, and another young man is also convinced that he's supposed to marry so-and-so, and what are you going to do? It's so easy for us to get tied up in knots so quickly about things like marriage because they're like the rest of our life and they define us, right? But what other things also are, are in the same kind of, you know, same, 
same big deal, capital, big capital deal, right? You just big deal things. You've got marriage, that's one of them. How about your job, right? Big deal defines who you are. What about your children? Yeah, that's a big deal to us, how they're doing, whether they're going to, you know, survive, whether they're going to be Christians, these, these kinds of things, they can tie us up in knots so quickly as we seek to pursue God's will for our life, right? How are we going to figure out what we're supposed to do? It starts by understanding what good is. Some women today refuse to see the most basic plan that God has for them, simply to be a wife and a mother, because they have more important things to do for the kingdom of God. And so they spend the rest of their life trying to get into Bithynia. Do you understand? They're called to be a missionary to Alaska. Are, are you sure you're called to be a missionary to Alaska? Well, no, it might be Russia. Or maybe I'm supposed to save the continent of Africa. I'm not sure, but I'm sure God is doing big things through me. Good things with a capital G. Those are good. Those would be good things. Has it occurred to you that being a wife and a mother is good? If we don't have the judgment of God and what he has created as good and bad right, if we don't have these things properly in our minds, there's no chance of us being able to pursue his plan in our life. And so if you're spending years trying to get into Bithynia and not making progress, it's not because you're refusing to act. It's because you're resisting the Holy Spirit. You're intent on fighting against him while you're being prevented by God. You know, with the path analogy, there are people who are bound and determined to follow the path they're on, even though there was a sign that said, Path 4, impassable due to flooding. Now I'm going on it. It's not working. Do you see the water coming? Yeah, I'm going forward. This is not good. There are, you know, I'm not picking on the women this week, but you know, if you if you have got this, if you've got the woman who's intent on being a missionary and conquering the world for God, and actually she's called to be a wife and a mother, you also have the women who understand that it's good to be a wife and a mother, and then they sit around waiting for some man to come and marry them. Instead of doing something with their life, something good. 
or who desperately pursue men. Now, at least they're not despising the fact that God made them women, but they're making the same error in terms of this passage. They're making the same error in terms of this passage. They're refusing to walk down the path that God has placed them on here and now, that God has called them to. They're on a path. They want somebody else to walk down it with them. That's the defining feature of of a man or a woman who wants to be married, right? I don't want to be alone on this path. And they're at a place where they've seen lots of men walk by and ask other women around them to join them on their path. And they're thinking, that looks good to me. I'd like to do that. And so they walk back and forth aimlessly waiting for that to happen to them. Maybe they sit down for a while. But the thing is, a godly man isn't looking for a woman who doesn't know how to walk down a path. Or who's too lazy to walk down it. Or who complains about the path that God has placed them on. I've seen people who blamed Satan for every setback in any plan they had. This is changing gears a little bit, but you can see this kind of thing. You know, you begin to get angry that you're not married yet, or you begin to get angry that you haven't gotten the job that you want yet, or you begin to be angry that you haven't had children yet, or you begin to be, you know, frustrated that whatever the plan is that you have for your life, that it's not going according to plan. And so you've got two choices. You can blame God. Well, that doesn't sound like a good idea to Christians. So they turn and they blame Satan, right? Have you guys ever seen this? Especially in charismatic circles, you're going to run into this kind of thing. Um, There's no room in their theology for God's sovereignty. But even worse, there's no room for God to prevent them from doing whatever seems good to them at the moment. These are people who don't do the planning work necessary to put on an event. But they put it on anyway. They get some volunteer last minute to come in with a sound system that's too small for the room and then pray that the demons would come out of it when it sounds bad. Literally experienced that. I'm like, they're praying over the soundboard that the demons would leave it. The problem isn't demons in the soundboard. The problem is they didn't get the right soundboard. (laughs) Do you see? Just blaming God, but not. Instead, blaming Satan. It's just this little swapperoo where you... You see what I'm saying? The fact of the matter is that God is not blessing them in their work, but they're intent on pursuing it, and they blame Satan for God's roadblocks. And a lot of times, God's roadblocks come in, the, in, in very 
natural ways. God has set up the world to work in, in a certain way that there are consequences for lack of planning, right? That if, if you don't plan well, the event likely won't go well, right? This is the way God has set up the world. It's a beautiful thing, natural consequences. Working hard generally produces fruit, right? Not working hard generally doesn't produce fruit. And so that's one of the ways that looks very natural, if you will. But this is one of the ways that God sets roadblocks in front of us. The outcome of this sort of idiocy is that if God finally completely stops them from moving further forward, they have nothing left except to believe that Satan beat God. Do you see that? You're left with this, you know, well, the sound system never got better. I guess Satan won today. Because you're adamant that your plan, which is that the sound system is going to sound good right now, right? Your plan is God's will. You, haven't, you have never recognized that whatever you want to do right now is not necessarily God's plan. Until you recognize that, an awful lot of the time, quote-unquote, God's plan just isn't panning out. It's a sad situation to be in, isn't it? Where Satan wins probably the majority of the time. I've talked to many men who are doing their own thing and God keeps throwing roadblocks up at them. And the wise ones realize that they're like Balaam, fighting God. The foolish ones turn further and further away from God and redouble their efforts to make their own plan work. Give up your plan. What is so great about it that you refuse God's plan? Give up your plan. Is your plan that you're going to look good? that you're going to have a lot of money, that you're going to have a job that you like, that you're going to be married, that you're going to have fewer children, that you're going to have more children, that you're going to have better children, that you're going to have smarter children. Is your plan that you're going to be a missionary in Africa? That you're going to change South America for the Lord? that you're going to have people like you? What's the common denominator in all of these? You. You, 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 you. You, 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 and you. When we refuse to see God's obvious plan for our life and instead pursue some other grand plan, grand ambition that we have, this is just as disobedient as refusing to act in the first place. Paul was willing to change his plan at the drop of a hat as soon as it became clear that God was preventing him. Now, on the other hand, 
we must not become discouraged at setbacks and difficulties. What does this look like in real life? Well, sometimes thing after thing after thing seems to go wrong, and when this happens, we need to ask ourselves if God is telling us to change course or if Satan is tempting us to turn around. We will face opposition from evil spirits if we're pursuing God's work. Do you understand that? You're going to face opposition. Evil spirits still exist. Satan is real. He doesn't want us to do God's will. He wants to throw roadblocks in our way to tempt us to stop. Strong temptations to sin. Temptations to despair. Accusations of being proud. You're just so proud. And so what are you going to do? You're going to stop? Well, I guess I, shouldn't, I, should, I should never speak the truth because I just got accused of being proud. Is that a good reason to stop? No, it's not a good reason to stop. It is a good reason to evaluate whether you're proud. And then if you are, stop being proud. But you keep going forward on God's path. God's path, not yours. Right? How else do we face opposition? Exhaustion. Especially if we're relying on our own strength. So if you find there's an unexpected gorge in front of you, it can be tempting to turn back. And the reason it can be tempting to turn back is because we don't want to follow the path down into the gorge and back up the other side. Right? You wouldn't mind crossing the gorge on a bridge. (laughs) The gorge is the thing that's in your way, right? If God had just placed a bridge, a nice flat bridge right over the gorge, that would have been convenient. But the bridge is out. And now you've got to decide whether, you're, whether this is a roadblock that God is saying, no, don't go this way, or if this is a roadblock where this is the temptation from Satan to stop. When really what you need to do is walk down into it and out the other side, and that's going to be hard. One time Heidi and I were out hiking, and we hiked down into a gorge that was 1,400 feet deep. It's a deep gorge. Quarter of a mile down. And it wasn't fun crawling out. But at least we were where we were supposed to be. Another time I made a mistake while backpacking in the mountains, and we hiked about half a mile in the wrong direction. No big deal, except we had also gone down 1,400 feet in that half mile. That path seemed so nice until we had to turn around and hike back up it with our packs. Then that wasn't so nice. It's appropriate when you face something that seems impossible to take out your map and make sure you're on the right path. If you are, 
don't despair. God will provide the strength you need or he'll remove the obstacles. But if you aren't on the right path, it's time to come up with a new plan. And sometimes that plan means you have to go back the same way you just came, which is a bit humiliating when you're leading a backpacking trip or a family or your children. What does this look like? You know, you've got this plan for what the day is going to look like, and it doesn't involve throw up on the clothes, right? And so then you're putting everything on hold, and you're trying to do some cleaning real quick, and you're getting short with the kids, and you realize, wait a minute, I'm going down the wrong path here. Trying to, force my, trying to force my plan to happen, even though it's clear my plan was the wrong plan for the day. I need to give up my plan. Time for a new plan. So what do you have to do? You've got to apologize to the children. You've got to tell them you were wrong. You've got to say, actually, we're not going to go to the zoo. They're all going to be upset at you. Or whatever, you know? And this is... This is husbands with their wives. It's bosses with their employees. This is, this is just life. It's humiliating to have to change plans. Paul's like, let's go into Asia. No. Nope. Hey, guys, we're not going to Asia. Hey, guys, let's go to Bithynia. No. Nope. Uh, hey, guys, we're not going to Bithynia either. You've got to be okay with that. We just packed all the bags for Bithynia. Now we're going south. You want us to get different clothes out? We're going to pack different bags. All right, we're packing different bags. Yeah, pack different bags. That's okay. You've got to be able to discern whether you're being opposed by the Holy Spirit or by evil spirits. which means you need to be able to discern the spirits. Now, that's hard. It's hard. But one of the things that that requires is that you be able to understand the big picture. If you understand the big picture... Paul knew what he was supposed to do. He just didn't know where he was supposed to do it. Does that make sense? Big picture, he's got that. Big picture, you know what it means to be a godly mother, not losing your temper and yelling at your kids and stuff. You know, like big picture, you know what that looks like. What should today look like, though? Or for Paul, where should I go, though, as I'm supposed to preach to the Gentiles? Do you know what you're supposed to do? Well, yeah. And that's the beautiful thing. We do know what we're supposed to do. To start with, we have God's commands. If your plan involves breaking his commands, bad plan, right? And so much of the time, our plan involves breaking God's commands. 
oh, I'm going to change, I'm going to change Africa for the Lord. All I need to do is tell a couple of little lies here and there to get some money so that I can get over there. No, that's, no, no, that's not God's plan. <laughs> you see how that works? Because we know God's commands. Then you might know a specific calling confirmed by the Holy Spirit and through others. When I first began to pursue church planting, I realized first that I was supposed to plant a church, but I didn't know where. Sort of weird. And so I pursued church planting in Terre Haute for a little while. And God said no. That's okay. Closed that door, checked out some other places, ended up in Indianapolis, planted a church in Indianapolis. That was good. It was God's plan. But in the meantime, where you're stuck, where you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't know exactly how or where, that's sort of an awkward position to be in, isn't it? Paul was sitting there. He knew he was supposed to be going forward. He knew he was supposed to be preaching to the Gentiles. He just had this time where he was not sure where he was supposed to be. That's okay. You're going to face those kinds of times in your life. Don't act with impatience. Wait on the Lord and test spirits. Try to move forward. When the door is closed, don't sweat it. It's God's plan you're worried about, not your plan. God's path, not yours. Pursue it. Don't stop pursuing it. Don't stop at roadblocks. Keep pursuing it. Pursue it with sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, being willing for him to change where you're going. Pursue it through trials and tribulations. And pursue it with discernment and faith.